scripture this morning is found in Revelation 18.1 and Revelation 22.12. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. Dr. Dean Jennings will have our message for today, entitled, The Third Coming of Jesus. Good morning, everyone. This morning we're going to talk about the third coming of Jesus. But before we get to that, we're going to touch down with Adam in the Garden of Eden. We will talk about the first coming of Jesus. We'll talk about the second coming of Jesus. And we'll touch on the millennium. Then we go to the third coming of Jesus and the glorious new earth. We are standing there in our mind's eye and watch as Jesus himself first explains to Adam the plan of redemption. It has to do with a lamb, he tells Adam. Adam watches in horror as Jesus is guiding him in cutting the throat of that lamb and the blood flows. For you see, Jesus told Adam, there's no remission of sins unless there's a shedding of blood. I imagine Adam is weeping now. The precious lamb, his lamb, is now dying. The lamb that he named Lamb. And Jesus explains to Adam, yes, Adam, I am that lamb. And I will die for you, the second death, so that you do not have to. We think of Abraham, who went to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son, the very spot that was later to be Calvary's Hill, where Jesus would die the second death for us all. This Abraham, the Bible says, well, you see, he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. How would Abraham from a pagan family know about the New Jerusalem? How would he know that? This was later described by John in Revelation, but how would Abraham know about that? I think of Job who said back in the mystic ages long before the flood, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and at the end he will stand on the earth. Well, I ask you, how did Job know about the third coming of Jesus? For that's when Jesus stands upon the earth. How would he know that? Later, the New Testament would be described in detail about the third coming of Jesus. We touch down now at the first coming of Jesus to put it all in perspective. There are certain texts in the Bible that stand out above all the others. One of these for me is as follows. 
these words in the fullness of time. I love those words in the fullness of time. It tells us that God is in charge of everything. He rules, he decides, he guides, he sets up kings, and he takes down kings. In the fullness of time, Jesus was born, the Savior of the world. During the 400 years before Christ's birth, all prophecy had become silent. There were no prophets. And now, the spectacular event that occurred, the most spectacular event that occurred since creation, occurs. That night in Old Bethlehem, God did not come to the politicians or to the theologians, but he came to simple shepherds watching sheep on a hillside outside of Bethlehem. Suddenly, it seems out of nowhere, a multitude of angels were in the sky singing. Let's read about it. Luke 2, 8 to 16. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. By the way, that tells us very precisely where they're from, doesn't it? They went back to heaven. The shepherds said unto one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Again, I would remind us, not to the theologians, not to the kings and queens, but to shepherds in the hillside outside Bethlehem. And the angels returned to heaven from whence they came. The angels from heaven sang to the only people open to hear the message of that song that night. Glory to God and peace on earth, the Messiah has come. This heavenly masterpiece of music matched the creation event in a spectacular display. This was one of the great events of all scripture. This was the same angel choir that I think one day will welcome the redeemed into the city of God. And we can pull back the curtain just a little bit to get a preview from Psalms 24, 7 to 10. Psalms 24, 7 to 10. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. O lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Angels are singing here. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts he is 
the King of glory. I have, I suppose, thousands of books in my library, but there's a couple of special ones that are well over 100 years old. I hold one in my hand here. Um, this is written in the 1800s by James White, published in 1909, 103 years ago. And I would like to read you a few words that James White has for us. Where and how shall we spend eternity? This has been the battleground of the ages. It is the most important question to us, not by philosophy, not by science, not by the research of man. Can this important problem be solved? Only by a careful study of God's word may the truth be ascertained. To this end, the pages of this book are especially de dedicated. He goes on to talk about the redemption story in beautiful, beautiful terms. I have a second, second book in my library that's very treasured. This one is authored by James Loughborough, and he was one of the pioneers of this message. I have stood by his grave, grave in the old St. Helena Cemetery, and I stood there and I pondered, this man from out of nowhere came to believe in God, believe in the Lord, and accepted the gospel message. And he has some interesting words. His book is entitled The Great Second Advent Movement. This also was from 1909. Um, first of all, though, before we get into his words, we're going to word, word, read some words from Jesus in Matthew 24, 29 and 30. Words of Jesus from his own lips here. Matthew 24, 29, and 30. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. My friends, please note the very next words of Jesus. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That, of course, are those who don't know the Lord. With that background, let's go to the words here and some quotations that John Loughborough, that old pioneer who now rests in Jesus, wrote, on the 19th of May, 1780, the sun was supernaturally darkened. It was no eclipse as the moon had filled the day before. Notwithstanding this, there was a darkness over all the northeastern portion of the United States from 11 o'clock in the morning until 11 at night. On that occasion, not only was the sun darkened, but the moon refused to reflect the light of the sun. It was a darkness that prevented the sun from shining on the disk of the moon. And as expressed by Noah Webster many years later, no satisfactory reason was ever assigned for this darkness. Another astronomer said, The dark day in North America was one of those wonderful phenomena of nature which will always be read with interest, but which science is at a loss to explain. 
and onward. If every luminous body in the universe had been struck out of existence, the darkness could not have been more complete. The famous story is told of someone who held a white piece of paper right in front of his face and he could not see a thing. The third of these signs, the falling of the stars, was fulfilled on the 13th of November, 1833, on that night, or rather from five hours previous to the day dawn, there was a meteor shower compared by some to streams of fire coming down from heaven. By others it was called the sparks of fire flying off of some great piece of fireworks. This phenomenon covered all of North America. Whenever, wherever it was observed, it was the same continuous shower of stars falling as thick as snowflakes in, snow, in a snowstorm. Now this was documented in all the news media of that day. The editor of The Old Countryman makes a very serious matter of the falling of the stars. He says, We pronounce the rain of fire which we saw on Wednesday morning last an awful type, a sure forerunner, a merciful sign of that great and dreadful day which the inhabitants of the earth will witness when the sixth seal shall be opened, as told us in Revelation. The time is just at hand. Those who were so fortunate as to witness the exhibit of the shooting stars on the morning of November 13 probably saw the greatest display of celestial fireworks that has ever been seen since the creation of the world, or at least within the annals covered in the pages of history. Let's remind ourselves, Jesus predicted that in Matthew and then he said in the very next verse, the very next words, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of earth mourn, those that don't know Jesus, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The signs on the sun and the moon and the stars, and the very next words, are the Son of Man is coming in the clouds of heaven. You know, when I was a boy, <laughs> I think I was about six or seven years old, my father was a, he was a lay preacher, if you will, and there were a number of small churches around Longview, Washington that, that didn't have a pastor very often, so my father worked six days a week, 10, 11, 12 hours a day. Sabbath was his only day off. But he was committed to these small churches. And I remember so well, funny how you remember something a couple decades later. Anyway, um, I was so shy and so nervous about going to these foreign churches, as I called them. Um, it was just amazing. I, my heart would flutter and I, I just was nervous. I, I didn't know anybody. But I never will forget one sermon that my father preached. And in that day and age, I was beginning to know what baseball was all about just a little bit. And I remember Hank Greenberg, the famous Detroit Tiger home run hitter. Remember that guy. But anyway, my father had this illustration. He was, his sermon was about the second coming of Jesus. He had this sermon about uh, the World Series will still be going on uh, before Jesus comes. And uh, it's a ninth inning. One run, one run behind, one team against the other. And somebody's up to bat. 
hits a long ball and it's going, going, you know how the announcers say, going, going, sometimes they'll say gone. And then my father just stopped it right there. And the trumpet sounded in the sky. And Jesus' voice announced that he's coming. And his message was, what will you be doing when Jesus comes on that day? What were you doing the night before? What will you be doing? Will you be in a movie theater? Will you be listening to rock music? What will you be doing? It's funny how a seven-year-old boy, well, I was seven then, remembers and remembers. When Jesus comes a second time, this starts the millennium time period. We start in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. We know the text so well. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. This takes place amid the indescribable glory and grandeur. Jesus coming down through space toward earth. Millions of angels swirling around him and the righteous dead waking up. The trumpet blast and Jesus' voice awakens them. The mighty earthquake and the creation certainly knows its creator at that time. Where have all the atheists gone, we ask? Where have all the agnostics gone? When Jesus comes, there are only four groups of people. Let's remind ourselves. The righteous living and the righteous dead. The wicked living and the wicked dead. Just four groups of people. That's it. No more and no less. Every one of the billions of people born on this world, from Adam onward, will be in those four groups of people. The righteous living, the righteous dead, the wicked living, and the wicked dead. There's no other way. So we see their triumph and tragedy Paul continues, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I love the next description from God's words. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53. I term this the twinkling eye text of scripture, the twinkling eye. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on, have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, O death, you're swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is gone. Amazing power of the living God in a mini-second, in the blink of an eye. The dead are raised and our bodies are glorified. We take to the grave the characters that we have developed on earth. When Jesus comes, if we are alive, there is no time to fix our character then. We are what we are. We are as we are at that time. Paul had something beautiful words to say about this. Today, 
If you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Hebrews 3.15 Today Jesus is ministering in the heavenly sanctuary at the throne room of heaven, pleading with us to understand the great war between himself and his archenemy. One day Simon Peter was getting nervous. Jesus had just said that he would be needing to leave them now and soon. Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later, and you shall follow me. Imperative word, you shall follow me hereafter, John 13, 36. Here we have a promise that Jesus gave to Peter that he would be in that new earth. Isn't that amazing? We come to that amazing day when over 500 witnesses went out where Jesus had told them to meet them 40 days after his resurrection. Acts tells us he suddenly started defying gravity and went up into the heavens and the clouds. Witnesses were amazed. Jesus in a human body that he will have throughout eternity just went up into the clouds. No gravity. We come to Paul's words of comfort. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let us hold fast our faith. Hebrews 4.14 We now come to the great truth that at the second coming of Jesus, the redeemed will go to that heaven above. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people. I love that, much people. That means maybe even I can be included. Much people, countless number. In heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto our God, our Lord and God, Revelation 19.1. The word people here is significant. People are not angels. The only other choice is that the saved ones from earth are in heaven. It says much people. Yes, we are there. Now we start that 1,000 years known as the millennium. What happens to the wicked dead at his coming? The Bible answers that. Quote, the wicked dead live not again until the 1,000 years are finished. What happens to the wicked living when Jesus comes? The Bible tells us all are slain with the brightness of his coming. Revelation 6, 16, and 17 tells us, The wicked cry out, Fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Well, the question often is asked and comes to us, What happened to the meek and gentle Jesus who put children on his knee and told him stories? Well, the answer is this. Sin cannot exist in the presence of God. It just cannot exist. God is pleading from the heavenly sanctuary. Two texts come to mind. Psalms 53, 2. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any that did understand and did seek God. This is a challenge to us as we live our lives on this earth. Those who are lost have rejected the light that shone across their mind. Remember the text in 1 John 1, 9. 
There is a light that lighteth every man that is born. All the billions of people have that light planted in them. The kind of love and devotion, what kind of love and devotion would cause a God who occupies the throne of the universe to come down to this dark, damp earth where Satan dwells and is born in a manger with cows and sheep as your companions? Then he was later to hear that awful cry from Abraham's descendants, his forebears, we have no king but Caesar's. We have no king but Caesar. With those words ringing in his ears, he stumbles up Calvary's hill to die. During his ministry years, he once told his disciples, the foxes have holes, the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. Jesus said such amazing words on earth, speaking of Abraham's descendants in Matthew 8, 11. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, meaning the Pharisees and the Jews, will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, speaking of heaven... There's a little poem. I have no idea whose the author is, but it's apropos for this moment. I dreamed Christ came the other night, and heaven's gates swung wide. With kindly grace, an angel ushered me inside. And there, to my astonishment, stood folk I'd known on earth. Some I had judged and labeled as quite unfit of little worth. Indignant words rose to my lips, but never were set free. For many faces showed surprise they weren't expecting me. An apt description of why the wicked failed and, and they will be lost. Just a little few lines from Desire of Ages, and I think it's a biblical theme through and through Scripture. Our standing before God depends not upon the amount of light we have received, but upon the use we make of what we have. Thus, even the heathen who choose the right as far as they can distinguish it are in a more favorable condition than are those who had great light and profess to serve God, but who disregard the light and by their daily life contradict their profession. Words to ponder. The wicked at Christ's coming will have rejected the message of 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The wicked reject the beautiful words from Isaiah 45.22. Look to me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. You know, Charles Spurgeon the great preacher in England who met, brought so many to Christ, on his desk he had a little plaque that he read every day when he sat at his desk, and it was those words, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. And by the, word, by the way, that's the words from an old lay preacher that converted Charles Spurgeon on one snow-swept day in old England. 
he heard those words for the first time. For God... For God was made Christ and knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become righteousness in him. And the wicked again, I say, rejected. Look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. They also reject from Isaiah these words, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for mine own sake. Did you hear that? God blots out my sins for his sake. Oh, that tells me that he loves me and he wants me in heaven and he remembers your sin no more. Many today are still hurling at God the epithet, words that were hurled out of, at Jesus in Pilate's judgment hall. His blood be on us and on our children. But let's take another look at that. Those men that hurled that words at Christ meant it for evil. But let's think again. They said it for evil, but taking another look at these words, they're so true. It is only by the blood of the Lamb that anyone is saved at last. May it be that his blood is on us and on our children. So the wicked have made their final choice. The Bible tells us that Michael stands up and probation closes. Let's go to Daniel 12 for just a moment and read these amazing words that are appropriate for this moment in time. Daniel 12, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for all the children of the people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to the same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. What book is that, my friends? The book of life. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. It's strange how Daniel agrees with what Paul was to write. Paul agrees what Daniel wrote. And they shall be wise, they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now we have just a glimpse of the new earth. The words of John in Revelation 22, 11, and 12 come to mind. Just as God had to do at the flood, destroy people to save those that loved him, Sodom and Gomorrah had to be destroyed to save those few that loved him so that he would not, Satan would not contaminate the rest. Just before he comes down to the corridor of space, he trumpets these words found in Revelation 22, 11, and 12. He that is filthy still, let him be filthy still. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. But he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. So probation ends. Everyone's name is either written in the Lamb's Book of Life or the Book of Death. It is that simple, my friends. So we begin the millennium. Even Jeremiah saw this time in vision. Jeremiah 25, 33. Jeremiah 25, 33. And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even to the other end of the earth. And they shall not be lamented, neither gathered or buried. They shall just be on the ground. We have words of Revelation 16, 18 to 20. 
And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as not since there were men upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and the great Babylon came in remembrance before God, to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Yes, I would submit to you that the gentle Jesus is still in these verses. For you, sin, you see, sin must be destroyed. The new earth must come, and the heavenly kingdom must be at peace again. We have words from Isaiah 24, 1 and 3. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty, and maketh it waste, turneth it upside down, and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. The land shall be utterly empty, utterly spoiled, and the Lord has spoken his word. Well, we all have a choice to stay on this kind of earth or go to heaven with Jesus. So where is Satan during this thousand years? The Bible tells us very clearly in Revelation 20, 1 to 3. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hand upon the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. The devil knows the Bible is true. He knows heaven is real and it's beyond our wildest dream to even imagine. He used to live there, you see. He knows heaven is just as our Bible describes it, but he does not want us to know that. While the devil is still on the tortured and shattered earth, chained by circumstances with no one to tempt because no one is alive, save him and his evil angels, the redeemed ones are in heaven. The Bible asks the question, Do not you know that you will judge angels? 1 Corinthians 6.3 The redeemed will judge angels. How now we come to the closing time of this entire planet. The Bible gives us a clear picture of events. Revelation 25, the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years are finished. One wonders, how is it that Satan can go out and deceive again? Well, the Bible answers that with the third coming of Jesus. I'd like to close this morning with just simply words of Scripture. Reading the last few verses of Revelation. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. Oh, there's the sea of glass, all right, but it's not like our rough oceans today. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. The verse comes next that every Christian loves. 
And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountains of the water of life freely. Did you notice the word give? I will give to the redeemed. He that overcometh shall inherit how many things? All things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. And I think we could also say my daughter. And the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all the liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Going on down to verse 14 of chapter 21. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. That's just exciting for me. When the disciples lived, they had no idea their names would be on the foundations of the New Jerusalem. Verse 18, And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And then the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones, and it goes on to list those stones. Verse 22, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord did lighten it. And the Lamb, the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, no reason to shut the gates. And they shall bring the glory and honor of all the nations into it. And there shall be no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. And they which are written, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life, The water is clear as crystal, a stream coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of it, there's the tree of life, which bear twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. How does God do that? One tree, different kinds of fruit every month? Oh Lord, I can't wait. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. Do you look forward to that day? Looking on the face of Jesus? Oh my. And his name shall be in their foreheads. You know what that tells me? We put his name in our minds now. Put his name in our minds now. And there shall be no night there, but they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. Do you believe them? 
And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Then Jesus said, as he did in that verse, following the shaking of the heavens, the falling of the stars, and the sun blackened, he said, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. He that is unjust will review it. Let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. Verse 16, And Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away from his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. So we're still going to close with Scripture this morning. But... As it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for those that love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 One more verse in closing. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul and eternal life? Amen. Eternal Father, we're thankful for the Bible, the scriptures that have come to us from so long ago that tell us your story, your story from Eden, from your birth, your life, your second coming, the second coming until your third coming. Lord, may each one of us want to be there and want to be there so bad that we will learn to know you now why we have probation. Lord, your coming is near. The old pioneers said it was around the corner. Lord, it's just perhaps metaphor-wise seconds away now. Help us, Lord, to understand this and all its meaning. As he died, you died to make men holy. Let us live to make men free and share the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.